What does it look like to resist the Holy Spirit? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big tr- story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dombozik. So, Brian, we are back after a little bit of a holiday that most people wouldn't even notice uh, because we uh, had actually done our jobs and recorded stuff in advance. So, go us. You know, I- I'm just so surprised that we actually thought to do that. You know, we we had a little bit of of uh, forethought there. We did, and I think and I think you led the way in that. So good job. Well, even a, what do they say about blind squirrels finding acorns every once in a while? You know, a broken clock is right twice a day. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, and uh, on that on that lovely note, um, we are jumping into. A, uh, we're jumping back into Acts. So uh, over the next little while, we're kind of bouncing back and forth between Acts and the epistles and really trying to set some context for the epistles as much as we can um, within the within the narrative of Acts. Um, they're, they're not they're, they don't always line up perfectly, of course, because we don't uh, we don't necessarily have one to one correlation between yeah. when a letter when an epistle was written and when an event happens in acts but there are places where we get pretty close and so that's kind of fun for us yeah and a, and a lot of times we're just gonna it won't be necessarily a a chronological correlation that kind of you're talking about but a a topical mm-hmm. connection so there are yes. going to be times where after we see something in acts and paul or somebody else wrote about it later that we can bring that to bear to kind of help us connect some dots through that lens as well yeah, yeah. So, um, so with that said, we are going to be jumping into a big chunk of scripture today. We are looking. We are going from Acts six to Acts eight today in in our discussion because we are going to look at the stone, the the ultimately the martyrdom of Stephen. Yeah, and so. But that's the really tail end of it because we get to see him do some pretty good preaching. In this, in this passage. Yeah, I mean, this is a great... We're not going to have time to read this one. I know you like to read it when it's shorter, but this one we would read and it would be pretty much the full episode time. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're listening along, if you have your Bible open, you know, you might want to kind of thumb through it as we kind of talk about it. But really what we're seeing here is a really important transition for the early church. So where we are, it's still early Acts, of course, Acts 6, 7, 8. Um and the church is still forming. It's still pretty much in its infancy. Uh, we've seen persecution from the Jews starting to increase. Peter and John were arrested back in Acts 4, and then they were released. And in Acts 5, Peter and the apostles were arrested again, put on trial, and then again released. So th- that's opposition. They were told not to preach Jesus and so forth. But both times they're released, but it seems like the tension from outside is starting to increase and it's going to boil over today is what we're looking at. But then also we are seeing some tensions from within the church as well. Again, go back to Acts chapter five in between Peter and John's arrest and the apostles being arrested again. We read about the account of Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit trying to deceive the church and God dealing with them. And remember, God striking them dead brought 
fear among all the church. So we're, we're seeing some tension there. We're seeing cracks, if you will, seem to start to, to show themselves in this early church, that there's this impurity that God had to deal with. But then in Acts 6, right before this, so we're going to kind of pick up in verse 9, I believe it is, but the account right before that is where we see a, a, fissure, a fissure between the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews especially the widows not being served food, and there's tensions within. We're starting to see divisions and so forth. So you think about this, pressures from outside, some tensions from within, and then today what we're looking at, the arrest and martyrdom of Stephen is going to, relate, going to lead to the scattering of the church, which again, we're going to talk about at the end. From one hand, it looks like a terrible thing, church all, but it was God working through that. He He's going to use this scattering for his glory as God is prone to do, even use our difficult circumstances for his glory and our good ultimately. So yeah, this is a kind of a key part. And as you said, Aaron, it Stephen just delivers this great sermon in his defense. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of good stuff in this, in this section. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And with that, as we are looking at um, starting actually in verse eight of of chapter six, what are some questions that we should be asking when we are reading and studying uh, through these couple of chapters? Well, I think the first one is let me kind of address something I just mentioned a second ago and add clarity. Why were the Jews opposing the early church? And I, I think there are two main reasons. The first one, if if you want to be the more optimist. <laughs> The first is a theological reason that the the Jews of that time, especially the leaders, were looking at the church proclaiming Jesus as God, and their interpretation of that was polytheism. They held to God the Father, the God they understood in the Old Testament, so to speak, mm-hmm. and then they saw the church were holding to, to God as well, but then the church was pointing to this man, Jesus, as being God. So them not understanding the Trinity, uh, they believe that to be polytheism. And Mm -hmm. Israel's long history in the Old Testament was always, you know, it's just flooded with Israel trying to worship God and false gods. We don't really see Israel in the Old Testament as much turning away from God to idolatry. It is usually trying to do both. And so they were trying to play as polytheist, really, in the Old Testament. And that is what brought God's judgment. That is, that is what the prophets warned over and over again. Um, you know, it starts way back with Joshua um, and the conquest. And you just see this continuing through the period of the kings and so forth. And, and the prophets keep warning and saying, no, you can't worship God and. It's not God plus. It's God, period. And so that is what brought judgment. That's what brought the captivities. Well, some would say that the Jews learned their lesson too well in the Gospels. So they, they got so uh, worried about being judged by God again as polytheist, and they protected monotheism to the extent that they excluded Jesus again because they didn't understand the Trinity and so forth. And so, again, that's a more positive angle would be it's a theological and you know, that we can be somewhat sympathetic toward. Sure. But the other, if you want to be a little bit more of a, of a cynic, is politically, that the church was a threat to them. 
they had all the power and influence in Israel. Remember, Rome's posture of occupation was they gave relative freedom to an area as long as you lived in peace, Pax Romana. So as long as you didn't rock the boat and pay taxes, Rome said, you can, you can do a lot of stuff. But if there's unrest, then Rome is going to come down hard on you. So the religious leaders were in a pretty good position. They, they had the people in their back pocket. They had their respect and so forth. They had all the power within Israel, and they had a good relationship with Rome. And so as long as things were going well, they were positioned well. But then the church comes along, and what's the church? The church is a threat to all of that. The church mm-hmm. is threatening to take away their power with the people because they're taking people away from Judaism as they knew it. And they are starting to really get worried about Rome because the church is declaring Jesus as God and Jesus as Lord. And Rome is, is while they're okay with different religions, they still would demand allegiance to Rome. And they're seeing warning signs. Will this church play nice with Rome? And so politically the Jewish leaders did not like the church. So there's a theological reason, a political reason, the Jewish leaders were attacking and persecuting the church. Yeah. Yeah. And that is is one of those things that, I mean, we think about it, and there, there are some warning signs for our own day. Like, we should be reading, we should be reading this and be deeply cautious about how comfortable we get with the mixing of politics and religion um, in that we should be uncomfortable with it altogether. So, um, so yeah. And you know, that's all we need to say about that. Yeah. (laughs) I think, yeah, we, we need to be involved in politics, Mm -hmm. but not mixing. (laughs) I think is exactly, exactly. Cause those are two different things. Yes. Political engagement and, um, what ultimately what ultimately and inevitably becomes the co-opting of religion for the sake of politics um, regardless of of what stream of politics that you you yep. subscribe to um, is a very very dangerous thing yep let's talk so, about Stephen he's safer yes let's get back to that so uh, what was so special about him <laughs> you know and that's that's some because I mean, He's. We get a lot of time with a guy who, um, who we don't see. Well, I mean, obviously we don't see him <laughs> after this at all. But, um, but it's pretty unusual for, for people to be named um, in like overall in the church. There aren't a lot of people who get their name in the book. And, and, and yeah, and I think he gets a lot of real estate here. You think about Acts, and he does. This is the long. I think this is the longest recorded sermon in Acts. It's even longer than than. Paul's, I believe. It's it's up there. Yeah. It's up there for sure. Um, and so it is so it's 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 significant and it's a good sermon. But um one of the th- like there's a lot of things that we can say about him. One is is he's one of the one of the people who is described not as um, you know, not as an apostle or an elder, but as a deacon. And so he was a servant in the church. And so he was he was actually one of the ones who was responsible for making sure that the widows and the widows and uh, those in need were had food to eat and caring for them and and things like this. Um, He is described, though, in verse eight, 10, 15, he's described in there as 
one who performed great signs. So even though he wasn't one of the apostles, he was still performing sign gifts or signs as well to the truth of the gospel. Um, he was beating his foes in arguments. Um, and so he was able to defend the faith um, and articulate the gospel and articulate the truth of Jesus as the son of God, the eternal son of God and the Messiah. Um, exceptionally well and it he's described in verse 15 as having the face of an angel and so this is this is kind of a weird one for us because typically we don't we don't talk like that here no. um I mean, I, certainly i'm sorry brian i'm not going to call say that you're you have the face of an angel. i was going to say I, um, I don't think i've ever been accused of of that one no no uh you you have many many fine qualities but uh <laughs> i don't know the about face that of an angel is not one of no, them. no it's not so <laughs> well you know you can grow a beard so <laughs> i gotta give you something but uh but uh with this the the whole idea of the face of an angel really is speaking to he's a peace he's a peaceful person he's and he's got an innocent disposition so he's not um he's not a rabble rouser he you know he he basically is the epitome of all of those things that we say are really important about a believer particularly a believer who holds any kind of leadership role within the church that they must be someone who is who lives at peace with everybody whose care whose character is above reproach all of these these kinds of things um that's basically what it's saying about him is yeah. is so we we've got almost the um the prototype for that list that that those lists that we see Paul give us later um, here, which is important since he was also there in our passage. Um, but uh, the so as we but as we continue to think about what's special about him, you know, the answer to this really is found in uh, again, this is in his introduction before we started here. So in verse five, he said that he's a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and he was a man full of grace and power. So it, ultimately what was special about him wasn't anything about him. It was Christ in him. It was uh, Christ working in and through him to do good in the community through him. So that's what was, that's what was special about him is, is that God was at work in him. Yeah, and I think that's so encouraging because you know, here not only we read how he's described and outwitting his foes, and and I, a lot of us are like, oh, I want to be like that. But then, as you talked about that face of an angel, if if that does mean, and I agree with you that you know, it's this innocent disposition, this peace and tranquility. Keep in mind when that was happening, that was described, or he was described that way when he's on trial for his life. And so we, we should see this and say, I I, I want to be like that. And it's encouraging to see what we can, because there wasn't anything about Stephen. It's God, and we have the same access. Yeah. I think the next question that takes us to then is, is what was Stephen accused of? And we see this in, in verse 14. Um, he, he Again, they, they try to outsmart him in debate. They can't, so they have to resort to false accusations. Sounds a lot like the trial of Jesus. Not accidental. There, there's callbacks um, to both of these. Um, mm-hmm. And so he, they bring in these people to, to accuse him falsely. And basically, accusations are speaking against the temple and the law and saying that Jesus would destroy the temple and the customs of the Jews. 
Now, we're told both of these are lies. They had to manufacture. But like the lies of Satan back in, in uh, Genesis 3, it may have been this mixture of pulling truths or half-truths, partial truths, and, and misrepresenting. Because Jesus had talked about the temple being destroyed. Yeah. And now he didn't say what they said he said here, but they could have been drawing from accounts of saying, well, remember that time Jesus said something about the temple being destroyed? And uh, Jesus never said that he would do away with the customs. He, he came to fulfill the law, for example. So it, it seems like they're trying to take some partial truths, some have-truths, and, and twist them and present them all as lies, which is a common thing we have to be aware of. Again, it's, yep. it's one of Satan's favorite games to play. So in, in general, this is what we'd have to understand because it makes sense of Stephen's defense of his sermon. Basically, they're saying, Stephen... You're a blasphemer who rejects the Old Testament. That, that's yeah. that's kind of so. It kind of takes to the next question. Why don't you address what was Stephen's defense all about then? Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? Is is his his defense? I mean, if you wanted to sum that up in a in a sentence, it's his defense is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Yeah. That's that's really what he what he's going for here, and so he because his whole sermon is this detailed explanation of the story of Scripture. He goes right to the beginning, and he's like, "Here is here is everything that God has done, everything that God has has told us to look for, and and pointing the way to Jesus." He shows them how Jesus fulfills Scripture, and not only that, but he doesn't stop there. He 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 goes on, and he starts getting jabby, and <laughs> and he says. And he tells them about how Israel had repeatedly resisted and disobeyed God. And in fact, that they were doing it again, which uh, led to him saying in verse 51 that they they were resisting the Holy Spirit. And I love the way that he, he says this because he doesn't just say it passively. This is where he this is why I say he's getting jabby because uh, he says, you stiff necked people <laughs> with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. You do also. Wow. He So he was just buttering up the audience there. Oh, totally. Totally. He's like, here's your like, this is basically the this is basically the fight where um this is basically like the kind of intense fight that you have between um, two professing believers. And one of them says, well, here's the problem. You're not a Christian. Yeah. But they have evidence. And so they're not just throwing this out like people do when they want to, when they're losing an argument <laughs> and invoke Hitler. Um, this is, well, here's the truth. You think you know what you're talking about and you're, and you don't. This is, this is as bad as, um, this is almost as bad as Jesus saying um, in one of the questionings before uh, before he was arrested and and crucified um, when the religious when some of the religious leaders were trying to were trying to trick him. Um, he said, "Well, here's your problem: you don't know the scriptures and you don't know God." Yep. It's it's a reversal. It's basically he is saying you're accusing me of rejecting the Old Testament being blasphemer, it's actually you. You're the ones who are failing. You think you're you're living out the, the law, but you're not. And mm -hmm. you're missing what the Old Testament was all about. And you're denying Jesus is, is the Son of God. You're in blasphemy. 
So he it's it's a complete reverse, which makes sense of what happens. We we know they are going to execute him. They're going to decide to stone him. But before they do, uh, we see that, you know, in, in verses 51 through 53, where you're just re- reading that, that they are yeah. resisting the Holy Spirit. They're rejecting what he had been sharing in his sermon. As I just said, they, re- they rejected Jesus. They had killed Jesus. They were just falling in line with the prophets that he spoke of. He said, look, the prophets yeah. went to the people. And what did the people do in the Old Testament? Time and time again, they said no to the prophets. They re, they resisted, they ignored. I am acting and then as they a killed. Yeah, and then they killed. Guess what I'm doing right now? Stephen's saying I'm acting as a prophet. I am telling you the truth. I am warning you. And what's going to happen? <laughs> yep. You're going to continue to resist the Holy Spirit. That's what resisting the Holy Spirit means. It's it's to reject the truth about who Jesus is. It's to ignore the scriptures and what the scriptures are ultimately about. And it's about Mm -hmm. rejecting Jesus, whether it be literally killing him as they did then, or today we can reject Jesus by denying who he is, denying lordship of him. So that's resisting the Holy Spirit still happens today, of course. And anybody who's not regenerate is living, resisting the Holy Spirit indefinitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this, this, phrase of you know resisting the holy spirit i mean there's another phrase that's used that that's used elsewhere the the idea of the one one sin that yeah. won't be forgiven the blasphemy of the holy spirit it's like guys this is the same thing they they go together <laughs> because the resisting the holy spirit lead like it's ultimately leading to blasphemy yeah do you because you're saying that what the holy spirit is revealing to people is, is a lie are, are you um are are you in the camp of believing blasphemy of the Holy of the Holy Spirit was a one time sin that could only happen in Jesus' day, or that is the sin that continue can happen today? As well? Um, I am of the opinion that it is that ultimately it is on it is ongoing, persistent yeah. rejection of the truth about Jesus. Yeah, I kind of lean that way as well. If if anybody listening is not quite I, clear, yeah. when you see Jesus in in the gospel saying there's one sin that's not pardonable, the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, some believe that that was a one-time sin only during his life that he was referring to literally seeing him, Jesus, and rejecting his ministry in that day and that's no longer possible. Others, and it sounds like Aaron, you and I are on the same page here, would say, mm-hmm. no, it's it's a sin that can happen today. It's that rejection of the gospel, the Holy Spirit uh, prompting us to repent and rejecting that mm-hmm. and staying dead in, in our sins and unregenerate. That's mm-hmm. blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think... It's like saying, I know the gospel, I just yeah. don't care. I, I would say that this is a sin that a believer cannot, of course, commit. Yes. And that's why, you know, because that's the concern. People say, well, if, if I can do it today, if the if blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is an unpardonable sin or the unpardonable sin, mm-hmm. and if it still exists today, does that mean I as a believer can do it? Can I lose my salvation? And I would say, no, I, I, I would say that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is only a sin that can be done by unregenerate. Yes. I, I I would gen I would lean in that direction as well. So And again, um, others yeah. might disagree with yeah. that. Others could be listening Absolutely. to the same yeah. Just, Absolutely, and different and people in different theological spectrums have different understandings yes. of of what that is specifically. 
um, you know, uh, particularly more of our charismatic continuationist friends. Yep. Not all of them would agree with what we define the ba- this this as, but um, and we can disagree in a friendly way. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So, um, so thinking about this, you get to this this final final piece here. You know, we you know we have Stephen saying, "I'm acting like a prophet, and you're going to do what." you what you all have done because you're already doing that so that leads us into the final our final question which really is um or one of our final questions here anyway uh which is why did they stone steven and and this is really them kind of them fulfilling their role in this because ultimately um if they they saw him as a blasphemer and so they were issuing the punishment for blasphemy that we see in Leviticus 24, 13 through 16. There were generally a couple of, of common ways that blasphemy was dealt with. One was hanging, the other was stoning. Um, and so, but the point is, is you die and, um, and it's not pretty. So that is, and so that's, so that's a pretty significant thing. They were so sure of their, bla- of hit of him being a blasphemer that the, the only way according to the according to the law that they could deal with that was to kill him they and so from their mindset they had to do that in order to fulfill the law in order to maintain like to keep in step with god's commands so in their zeal to obey god they killed the one who was telling them the truth about God. How they could obey him in truth. Exactly. And so, you know, and as we think about this, you know, there, there's a, there's a, you know, an, an interesting area of exploration that, that, that some should, should take, take a little bit of time with and, and get into, which is this, this question of, were they even allowed to do this? Yeah. Because remember, when they wanted to kill Jesus as a blasphemer, they had to they had to had to finagle away with Rome to get them to execute him because they didn't have the authority to execute anybody. That was that was the one compromise that uh, that Pax Romana had. They could generally rule themselves. They had their governor as long as they paid their taxes, didn't cause trouble, things were cool. Um, but no executions. And they just did that. Yeah, it's it's they're kind of coming from this posture of it's it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission at this point, perhaps. So either yeah. way, yeah, yeah. And, but I don't think we can before we kind of move on. I think to our our last kind of segment idea, we mentioned this earlier. We we have to see the connections between this and the crucifixion of Jesus. They're, they mm-hmm. Luke presents these with similarities for a reason. Now he's not suggesting, of course, that Stephen is like Jesus or doing what Jesus did, of course. But we see, I mean, look at how Stephen's described before this in very positive terms, innocence, false accusations, trial, condemned. You just see this and it makes sense because here, this is the first martyr and we're seeing as went Christ, so will go the church. If we truly are following Christ, if we're little Christ, if we're his bride, and Jesus said this, they're going to hate you because they hated me. So I think Luke is intentionally trying to draw our attention to some of the themes that we saw from the crucifixion that are present here. Again, not every detail, stoning versus 
being crucified. And, um, but we're seeing a connection for a reason because, because we're seeing that the church will and should fulfill our calling by living as Jesus lived. And that could include yeah. dying as he died. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, that, that really, you know, one thing that, that people will notice is, is that we haven't really talked about the end of this, which is that, uh, there was a certain someone who was there, um, <laughs> you know, that being, that being Saul, who we also know as Paul, um, and we'll get to this later, but no, it's not a name change thing. So, <laughs> so he didn't become Paul after conversion. He always was. So exactly. Anyway. <laughs> and it's great writing, anyway. by the way. Isn't it beautiful writing? It's got this little, little foreshadowing of what's to come. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's just one of those things that as, as a writer, I really appreciate how well Luke sets things up. He's, he's a good storyteller. And, and so we don't want to miss that when we read scripture is that there is storytelling that's happening. There is drama that's unfolding. You know, there's comedy when there's comedy too, but, um, but certainly not in the, in this place, but just the fact that Saul was there and he was approving of, of the murder of Stephen and from there, he, he, in his zeal, went out and ravaged the church. I, it's, it's a powerful statement that's here, that this wasn't just a man who was um, hostile. This was someone super aggressive and was yeah. going out of his way to arrest and apparently kill even <laughs> other believers. Yeah, and it's it's as you're saying, it's just great writing. It, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, all true. Just in case mm -hmm. anybody is misunderstanding. Um, yes, but you know, here you have this introduction to this how how terrible of a, and a contrast. Look how amazing Stephen is presented. Now he's dead. Somebody who's partly responsible for his death is a man named Saul, who is just going to be presented as just the total opposite. And yet we know what happens to the Saul. He becomes the champion yeah. of the gospel throughout the book, rest of the book of Acts. After, though, we're going to leave him. We, we kind of get this little snapshot, and then we go and we deal with Philip, and we'll come back to Saul. So it's just, it, it's great writing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, on that note, let's, uh, let's end the way that we always do, and let's think about this from a discipleship perspective. So what kind of guidance can we offer someone who is working through Acts 6 through 8 with another person? Yeah, I think the first, we, we said this again, just to kind of bring it up uh, as we wrap up. Um, this is an encouraging, encouraging passage to us because it reminds us to let the Holy Spirit work in us and through us, ourselves and those who we are discipling. Uh, we all have the same potential that Stephen had. We, we look at Stephen, as I said earlier, I hope that we look at this and say, I, I, there's a lot about Stephen that I want to be like. Now, ultimately, we know mm -hmm. it's Christ, but uh, we also are given the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. We, we should learn positive things from the saints who have gone before us and, and find encouragement in how to live as well. And so we can and should do that through Stephen. Again, ultimately, it's through Christ. We should look to Christ for this. But we're given mm -hmm. other saints for this reason, too. So we look at Stephen and say, I, 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 
I, you know, would that be written of me? Would his descriptions of, uh, you know, could somebody say of me that Brian is a man of full of faith in the Holy Spirit? Brian is a man full of grace and power. And if I look at that and say, I don't know if that could be said in honestly today, the solution that I'm given by the gospel is not to try harder. The solution I'm given by the gospel is to yield to the Spirit and let the Spirit work in me and through me and obey His guidance. I can mm-hmm. do that. You can do that. Everybody listening can do that. Those who are discipling can do that. So there's great encouragement as we look at this account to say, we all have within us the potential to do amazing things for God, not because of who we are, but who is in us, Christ Jesus. So encourage those whom we're discipling. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that this event really speaks to, though, as well, is um, our need to know Scripture. So think about think about Stephen. He, I mean, again, yes, Holy Spirit at work in him. Um, and the Spirit helps us to, brings to mind what we need to know at the times that we know. He helps us to say what we need to say. But at the same time... Um, it wasn't like he was working from nothing. Yeah, Stephen spent years um, because it was just part of it was part of his culture. He spent years l- hearing and learning and remembering scripture, and so all so he was recounting the story of scripture from memory, and with again with the help of the Holy Spirit. So again. I, I feel like I have to say that a whole bunch when we're talking about this. It but, would it would not be a um, podcast with us if we didn't have caveats all over the place. Absolutely, absolutely. So, but what? It, but his example reflects a deep understanding and awareness of what God was doing throughout His people's history, and um, so we. So and and likewise, it's an encouragement for us because we are always ready to be ready to provide a defense for our faith. That's, you know, 1 Peter 1, 3, 15 uh, tells us this, always be ready to give a defense for the faith that you have. And so we can often look at scripture and we can say, okay, it's, you know, we have a hard time understanding it. We have, you know, we have a hard time memorizing it and all of these kinds of things. And so what I would just encourage there is for us to say, okay, well, even if those things are true, because we can only learn to, we can only learn to, um, and hold people to their maximum potential based on how God has made them. And so I can't hold someone to, uh, I, I can't hold two people who have two different intellectual capacities to the same standard um, in, in, from a human perspective. Um, that's not right, and it's not honoring of them. But if someone can't, so some people, maybe they can, they can memorize a whole book. Yeah. Some people, maybe they're going to work for a lifetime memorizing a single verse. And if they can remember a single verse, we should praise God for that. And so we should, but we should be pursuing those things to the utmost of how God has wired us. Yeah. And and Aaron, I think what you just said is really important. There are, let me kind of drift over to kids ministry and parenting for a minute. There, there are some Mm -hmm. programs and emphases 
and they have the best of intentions. I, this is going to might sound like I'm, I'm dismissing or, or belittling. I don't mean that. But there are some that emphasize scripture memorization and it's quantity. So you, you have the kids memorizing just tons of, of the scripture. And again, that's a great thing. Don't, I, I don't want to dis, dis, diminish that. Yeah. But there could be a concern if the kids are not learning what it all means. If they're just learning words and be able to, to pair it back scripture, because that's not what Stephen did. Notice that here he didn't just say, hey, let me just kind of vomit a bunch of scripture at you. He explained the meaning. He, he chased down the thread of the gospel. He, he connected it to what he was experiencing that in that time. So, mm-hmm. you know, we want to encourage our kids to memorize as much scripture as possible, of course, but not at the expense of quantity over understanding it. If they can't bring it to bear in their own lives, if they can't turn to it for their own encouragement, for their own benefit, if they can't share it with others for their encouragement, benefit for evangelism and so forth, then what's the purpose of it? So memorization devoid of understanding, I don't know how much point there there, there could be because you store it away, who knows what God can do it. So again, caveats all over the place as usual. Absolutely. But hopefully you listening can hear my heart in this. It, you know, the, the goal, it should not just be the quantity of verses. It's do my kids understand and is it helping them live it out? Yeah. So there's, there's one other thing that we can draw out of this, uh, this, well, more than one, but one other thing that I think worth mentioning right now is um, that we can recognize that God can use our suffering. We see that again here. This is not the first time we've talked about this. It will not be the last time because it's a common theme in scripture that God takes and brings beauty from ashes. He, he, he uses everything for his glory and our good, or he can use everything for his glory and our good. Um, and we see that here. We see this account ends, chapter 8, begins with, with what could be seen as a low mark for the church. Again, they're scattered. We, we have now persecution has gone to a different level. They, it's not just being arrested and let go. Now we've seen somebody who has been executed. And the church scatters. Uh, they just, they run for it. And if we stop there, or if we've never heard the story of the church before, if we're reading this for the first time, we would think, oh, this is, this is that moment of tension. What's going to happen from here? This is terrible. This is the lowest of lows. Um, and we're going to see it's not. God used this providentially to expand the gospel. And, and we, you're, you're clued into that with what happens next, Philip in Samaria. We see that God is using this to scatter his church as ambassadors around the region in fulfillment of what Jesus had said to the apostles right before his ascension. You're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the world. This is, this is moving that forward. Now, again, we still have a few steps as we read Acts. Um, we're going to come to the key transition of Peter and the Gentiles later, Paul's ministry later, but this we're seeing that movement, and it's because of suffering. So once again, we see it here, and we have to be reminded, and we have to encourage those we're discipling that we don't run, we should never intentionally run toward persecution. Yeah. We, we should not, you know, close our eyes and, and run toward martyrdom. 
but should God provide that in our lives, we should seek to embrace it willingly, with joy even, knowing that even though it may be difficult, by definition it will be difficult if it's persecution, mm-hmm. and it won't be fun, it won't be pleasant, it will be painful, we, we do so with joy, recognizing that God can and will use it for His glory and our good. And so again, it's this context of what we perceive to be good and bad, and taking and filtering what we perceive to be good and bad always through the gospel instead of our experiences. Yeah. Man, that is a, a good place for us to, uh, to wrap this up for today. So thanks for, for chatting about this. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.